Let me tell you this about myself. I don't love change. And maybe even as you hear me say that C word, uh, maybe you cringed a little bit uh, as I even said that because you maybe don't like change either. Um, like many people, um, I get kind of stuck in my ruts and I like to do things the way I've done them and I need a good reason if I'm going to do it a different way. I need, it to, I need to know that whatever it is, is an improvement. And uh, over the last several weeks, we have been in this series called New Lens. And if you were to go to an eye doctor and they were to have you read a chart like this and you couldn't read far enough down the chart, they're going to tell you it's time for a change. Whether you, if you haven't had glasses before, they're going to tell you, you probably need to have some, some glasses. Or if you have already had glasses, it's time to update your prescription so that you can see the world more clearly as it is. And as we've been walking through this, we've had several different uh, prescription changes, so to speak. We've, we've looked at uh, seeing, the lens, seeing the world through the lens of creation, through identity in Christ, and through our, our holiness and God's holiness. And today, I want us to update our worldview prescription once again with the supernatural. If you've been a Christian for a while, you're probably used to reading scripture uh, and reading supernatural things in scripture. You know, you, you may, it may be old hat to hear about Jesus casting out a demon. It may be uh, normal to you to read in the very first pages of scripture about this talking snake. That should be weird to you, by the way. <laughs> that should be a little bit weird. That should, that should clue you in that there's something, something more going on than just our natural world. Because even, um, even Moses, who would have been the author of Genesis, in writing that down, it wasn't like he had encounters with talking snakes all the time. It was a supernatural moment. And I think we are somewhat used to reading in our Bibles about the supernatural, hearing messages that regard supernatural, spiritual realities, and yet we often, it's like, you know, wearing reading glasses. I don't know if any of you guys have reading glasses that when you're reading something, you put your reading glasses on, and then when you're done reading it, you take them off. And I think we have, we often have our Bible reading glasses, that we have this supernatural lens with which we can read the Bible. And then after we're done reading the Bible, we take our supernatural lenses off. We set them to the side and we go back to the real world. But today, today I, I hope I can encourage you to, to maybe wear those lenses a little more often. Now, have you, have you ever had someone come up to you and tell you about an experience that they had with an angel or a demon? My guess is that probably not. Most people, if they have had an experience like that, don't, don't solicit that information. They don't, they don't just put it out there. Hey, guess what? I, I had a run-in with a demon today. Like most people don't solicit that information. But, but why? Why is that? Day, day five in our Core 52 stuff, I hope you read the chapter, and I hope you did the, um, the assignments at the end, but especially day five, where it said to ask three Christian friends about an experience, if they've ever experienced an angel or a demon, and I hope that you did that. 
I, I asked quite a few people about that uh, just to hear some, hear some stories and things. But, but why do you think it tells us that we have to ask? It's because people, people don't readily just give out those stories and that information. And why is that? Well, I think it's kind of like the time when I was a kid. I, I was out on a bike ride, riding around my block, and I had a toy with me, okay, which um, maybe, Heather, this explains why Judah likes to ride around with toys. I don't know. Uh, but I, I used to ride my bike, and I would carry toys with me, which is a terrible idea, watching my son do it. It's a terrible idea. But I had this, this puppy dog, and it was on a leash. And so, of course, having it on a leash is not real conducive to riding your bike, right? And so I noticed it was starting to get into like my, my tires and all that kind of stuff. And so I started doing what makes sense is you start wrapping the leash around your handlebars. So that way it stays put, made perfect sense. Well, as I'm doing this, I'm going, I'm going, and all of a sudden, wham, I slammed right into a parked car. <laughs> and it hurt, mostly my pride, and I got up and I did what any sensible human being would do. I looked around to make sure nobody saw what just happened. And in fact, until uh, first service this morning, I'm pretty sure I had never told anybody that story because it was embarrassing. And it was one of those things like, man, I really hope nobody saw that. I'm not telling anyone that this just happened. I, I think I rode my bike home and I think I just went straight into my room. It was like, that was embarrassing. Um, and, and I think, and maybe it's, it's the flip side of this with, with the supernatural, that if you have a supernatural experience, it's not, I hope no one saw that, but surely did someone else see that? And then you realize you're the only one that experienced it. And then it's like, oh, well, if no one else can back up my story, maybe something else was going on. Maybe I just, I'm sure there's a natural, reasonable explanation for this thing that happened. And that I experienced. Or maybe if another person did experience it with you, you go back and forth with these rational explanations for how it could possibly be that this, that this thing happened. And yet, one of the things that I, I found as I asked people about it is, one, lots of people do have some pretty incredible stories about the supernatural, including angels and demons. Uh, but, but another thing that I, that I found is that many people don't have run-ins with um, something that they can easily identify as that was a demon or that was an angel. But it sounds a little something more like, no, I've never, I've never seen an angel or a demon. But, but you know, there was this one time. Now, don't think I'm some kind of weirdo or anything, but, or, or I might sound crazy, but I, I'm telling you the truth. This is what happened. And and we have these, these stories, these run-ins with things that we just can't explain, that we have this, this box of rationality that we're trying so hard to stuff this experience into, and this experience doesn't fit into our, our, our natural, rational box. And there's a reason for that, that the supernatural is part of how God has created the world to, to run and to exist. And my hope is that today we can nor normalize the supernatural, not naturalize it, 
Not try to say, well, you know, it was, there's a natural explanation for this. It didn't really happen like that. It happened very naturally like this. No, not naturalizing it, but normalizing it. Because the supernatural, while it may be supernatural, it is not abnormal. That's the lens that we see in Scripture, and that's the lens that I would encourage you and, and challenge you to, to extend into your life. But when I say supernatural, some things probably start coming to mind. Right? When, I, when I say the world where it's supernatural, it's, it's ghosts and ghouls. It's all the stuff of Halloween that, uh, that comes out then. It's, it's demons. It's Ouija boards. It's voodoo. It's witchcraft. It's crystal balls and seances. It's all this stuff, all this dark supernatural stuff. But there's more to it even than that. Jesus, Jesus has a run-in with some people who he calls sons of the devil. In John chapter 8, verse 44, he says, You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. He says, Yet because I tell you the truth... You don't believe me. Now, of course, these were surely demon-possessed people, right? Maybe it was the, the necromancers convention. Really, it was the most religiously devout and pious people you would ever meet. The people who thought above everyone else, and everyone else really thought this too, that the Pharisees, man, they are what it looks like to really want to honor God. And yet Jesus would point to them and say, hold on a second. There's a dark supernatural force that is, that is at work here. That they are their sons. They belong to their father, the devil, he says. And I think we focus in on this, the dark side, you might say, quite a bit. But really, but what if I, what if I were to tell you that the supernatural forces, that there are ones that aren't dark, and they're stronger than anything the dark can throw at you. I'm talking things like, like angels. I, I had some friends in college who they had gone on a mission trip to Haiti, and while they were there, they were out with a guide, and you know, voodoo is a big deal in Haiti. And as they're there, they were talking about that and expressing concerns. And their guide just looked at them and said, oh, you guys don't need to worry about it. You're real Christians. Never really met the guy before. And they were, how do you know? And his response to them was this. Very matter of fact, he just said, oh, because real Christians have angels. That was his response to them. Of how he knew they were real Christians. Oh, because real Christians have angels. But, he said, but his point, though, was that they didn't need to worry about the dark spiritual forces because he knew that they, as real Christians, had forces on their side that far surpassed the forces that would be against them. Now, he didn't tell them to go looking for trouble. He didn't tell them to go knocking, knocking on the doors of witch doctors. And he didn't tell them to do that. But he told them they didn't need to worry about it. But not only angels, but, but the Holy Spirit. If you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives within you. The Spirit of the living God dwells within you. But to take that even a step further, if you are with other Christians, 
The Holy Spirit is within you, but it's also within the people around you. And there's this cumulative effect. It's one of the reasons why gathering with other Christians is important. There's this cumulative effect that happens, and not to mention the Lord himself being the, the king, literally, of all supernatural and natural beings, and that the Lord himself is for you. And as the book of Romans says, if our God is for us, then who can be against us? There are a lot of directions that we can go from here. Um, and just to be truthful, uh, this is not a topic that makes me feel super comfortable. Um, it's real convenient for Chris to be gone this weekend. Like, <laughs> uh, this isn't something that is something that I have a lot of experience personally with. This is something where I, I need a new lens. This has been really, really challenging for me to research and learn about. Man, this is a deep hole. This is a deep, deep hole that you can go down for a very long time. And we've got a brief moment to do it this morning. And uh, one of the things I do if I, if I don't know where to go with something is I'll call my brother. Um, and I, I gave him a call this week. And I was like, dude, I need some help. <laughs> I, I think I've got, I've studied lots. I've got lots of information, but where do I even go with this? And I told him some of my ideas and some of my thoughts. And I had mentioned something about uh, a passage in Ephesians. And he just looks at, or he didn't really look at me, but we, he said to me, uh, dude, how about the whole book of Ephesians? Like the whole book of Ephesians is just chock full of this spiritual warfare and these, these powers at, at war with one another and uh, just all these, all these things. It's full of the supernatural. And as I read through Ephesians this week, wow, I, I had not really noticed that pattern in the book of Ephesians before. And so we're going we're gonna to walk through the book of Ephesians. If you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to open it up to Ephesians. We'll read several chunks out of, out of the letter. Uh, but as we, as we get there, I've got two things that have, have stood out to me on, on this topic that I want to share that don't necessarily fit with where we're going in Ephesians. So as you're flipping to Ephesians in your Bibles, let me share a couple of things. The first one is this, uh, that God doesn't actually dignify the, the devil with a name. Okay, if, if you look it up in the Hebrew and in the Greek, uh, a lot of times we just call him Satan and use that as a name. But really, if you look it up in the Hebrew and the Greek, there's that definite article, the, almost every single time, with very few exceptions. It's the Satan, just like it's the devil. It's a, it's a title. It's a title, the, the Satan, the adversary, the devil, the accuser. It also sometimes we get called Lucifer, which is Latin for morning star which is ironic that people use that as a proper name. This is a total aside here, but it's ironic because that name also gets used for Jesus. Um, and so anyway, that's just a whole, whole other thing altogether. Uh, but I, I just want to point out that God never dignifies him with a proper name. He just titles. Just titles that fit and describe the, the wicked things that he does. About deceiving, accusing. He's an adversary. Uh, the, other, the other thing is this. When we talk about angels and demons, um, let, me, 
just share something with you that I think is important for us to note when it comes to when it comes to angels. And um, I don't mean this in any sort of harsh or mean way, but um, if you've had a loved one die, they didn't become an angel. Okay, um, that's not how it works. Uh, people don't become angels. Um, people actually become more fully people. More fully, you will, when you die, you will become more fully a human as you were intended to be than you ever have been. Angels don't bear the image of God. People do. And, and so it's really good news that that identity that we talked about a couple weeks ago, that identity stays intact when we die. And in the new creation, we continue to be God's image bearers ruling over new creation by God's side. Angels don't get to do that. We get to do that. And so that, that's good news. But it's, it's helpful to know that people get to stay people. Now, I don't want you to go on Facebook if someone said something about someone becoming an angel. Don't go argue with people on Facebook about it. Bad move. If that helps somebody grieve and helps them have comfort, awesome. Um, but at the end of the day, to me, it's such good news to know that a person stays a person and doesn't have to become something else. Um, but we get to be a part of new creation um, in the way we were created and intended to be. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to sprint through Ephesians here. And uh, starting in chapter 1, we get this picture of all these supernatural spiritual blessings that we have through Jesus Christ. Uh, and uh, then we get into verse 15 and following, where Paul prays over the Ephesians. He says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? That he worked in Christ when he raised him up from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So the first thing that I want us to see from the book of Ephesians is just Jesus's power. Uh, the, the line in there about being far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, now this is more than just um, the human rulers and powers, but this is the next level. This is the supernatural forces behind those things. And we'll see that even more clearly when we get um, into chapter six later on. Uh, but suffice to say, there, there is a power that Christ has over all the rulers and authorities and the prince of the power of the air, which is another word for that character, the devil, the Satan. He's the prince of the power of the air. He's the one that, that kind of rules over the, the wicked spiritual beings. Um, moving on into chapter, into chapter 3, verses 
verses 14 to 21. It says this, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So there's this, there's this power that's at work, this strength that he's praying for God to give to these people so that they can do something impossible. Did you catch it? Verse 19, to know the love of Christ, that what? It surpasses knowledge. How do you know something that surpasses knowledge? Well, I can tell you by, by the strength of the Spirit. There's, there's this supernatural experiential knowledge that you can have of this unknowable love. We can comprehend this incomprehensible love. But not only that, there's this power at work within us, within us as individuals and within us corporately as, as the church. But it almost seems like Paul takes a turn when he gets to the middle of chapter 4. Chapter 4 Verses 17 through 32. I'm just going to read verse 17. It says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. You must no longer walk. Kind of, so we go from all of this talk of these supernatural forces that are behind things to all of a sudden, well, now it sounds like I'm responsible here. It says, you must no longer walk. It's you don't do this. You do this. You don't do this. You do this. And, well, now all of a sudden it's me doing it. I thought it was these supernatural powers doing it. And there's this tension that's introduced somewhere between I am solely responsible for everything that I do. And on the other end is, you might say, the devil made me do it. That somewhere there's this, there's this tension in between these two. In between personal responsibility and that there are supernatural forces at work. And in, in the biblical lens, it's not an either-or sort of thing. It's a both-and. It's both-and. So if I were to tell my kids to go do something bad that they know is wrong— Guess what? The authority that told them to do that, I'm responsible for that. I'm the power behind it, so to speak. I'm responsible for telling them to go do something wrong. And yet, they know it's wrong. And so, guess who else is responsible for doing what's wrong? They are. There's this dual responsibility here that we see, and um, it kind of gets built upon um, in, in the early part of, of chapter 4. Because remember, chapter 3, he's talking about this strength from the Spirit and this, um, this power that is at work within us and the, the, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. And then the very next thing, the beginning of chapter 4, he introduces all of, this, um, all of this supernatural stuff going on in the church to build up Christians. 
that Christians, as a part of the church, have a role to play in the building up of one another and in the preparing one another to go and do all the things that are there in verse 17. That there is a, that there is a system at work, that the supernatural forces are, are behind, trying to prepare you to be ready to go and, and do and be. Now, Ephesians chapter 2, part of what we read uh, back then in verses 1 and 2 says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, in the sons of disobedience. You, you see, there are supernatural forces and influence, forces that are influencing you to do right or do wrong. And part of the way that that happens is, is through these these, these patterns, these, uh, he calls it uh, following the course of this world, that if you just follow the way the world tells you to act and be, you're being influenced by a, a supernatural darkness. If you're following that system, you're being influenced by a supernatural darkness. Likewise, uh, if you are, are in the church and you are being influenced by church people who are encouraging you and building you up, you're in the word and those things, guess what? You're being influenced by a supernatural system. But it sure isn't dark. It's a beautiful, light, life-giving sort of thing. There are supernatural forces that are, that are influencing the way that we live our lives. Uh, now, okay, so let me break for a second here and just say this. Um, I don't know if you're weirded out with all of this or not. Um, let me just tell you, as, I, as I've been like reading about this stuff and learning about it, th this truly is a new lens for me. <laughs> okay, this is a different way of thinking about things. I... Um, I tend to err on the other, I, I tend to err on the, I am personally responsible and only responsible for my actions. Um, I've never been the, the devil made me do it kind of guy. My, my tendency is to, to really focus on personal responsibility. And I, and I think there is, you have personal responsibility, but at the same time, this has really been challenging me to recognize what it is that is influencing what I am personally responsible for. And I hope that this is um, something that's challenging you in that as well. Um, it's, it's not something that, it's not a direction we talk about a lot. You know, there, um, there are churches on every end of the spectrum here, some that will um, overemphasize the work of the devil and some who will um, kind of dismiss it altogether. And the reality is it's probably somewhere in, in the middle and so as we, as we continue, I hope that, uh, I hope you're not too weirded out, uh, but if you are, I hope you'll sit in it. Don't dismiss it. Uh, don't just carry on, but, uh, but let's sit with this for a little bit longer here. Ephesians chapter 5, um, verses 1 through 12 highlight, highlight some of this, but uh, verse 5 is where I want to zoom in. He says, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And, and there's a whole list of stuff prior to that, too. That's kind of his summary statement of the things that he, that he listed in a few, at the beginning of Ephesians 5. Uh, but... Uh, I want us to see that the influence also goes the other direction. 
that while the kingdom of the supernatural kingdom of God is a system that can have a positive influence on your life, at the same time, the way that you act has an impact on the supernatural kingdom of God. That the influence isn't just the supernatural on us, but we actually have an effect on the supernatural realities at work. That the way you act determines, determines your engagement in the kingdom. And that those realities are affected. You did know it's a supernatural kingdom, right? We don't have a, a physical throne on earth. We don't, have, we don't have land as a kingdom. Okay, our, our kingdom is, is far different than any of the kingdoms of this world. But it is a kingdom nonetheless. And it is a beautiful thing because our kingdom is, is everywhere. Our kingdom isn't, isn't trapped in a plot of land. But our kingdom flows throughout all of the kingdoms of this world. But not only that, uh, he goes on. And in verse 8, he says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. He not only says you were in darkness or you were influenced by darkness. He says you were darkness. Never downplay the reality of where you were. Never downplay even the reality of where someone else is. On the flip side... He says, but now you are light in God, in the Lord. You are light. Don't downplay your identity and your current existence in the Lord. You are light in the Lord. We're either children of God and light or children of disobedience and darkness. There are these supernatural forces behind us. Okay, and then, so now we, we get to Ephesians chapter 6, which is actually the section that I was thinking about to begin with. Uh, and in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, I want to zoom in on verse 12 for a second. It says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Then he goes on to say who we do wrestle against. But I, wanna, I just want to camp on that phrasing for a moment. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. One more time, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Our struggle is not against people. If someone has skin and if they would bleed when you cut them, they aren't your enemy. Plain and simple. A human being is not your enemy. Our enemy is so much more dark and so much more sinister than that. People are so much easier to fight, so much easier to make your enemy, but they're not. No matter what they look like, no matter what language they speak, no matter what country they're from, no matter who they voted for, or if they think you should wear a mask or not, a person, a person is not your enemy. And in, in making a person your enemy, you get very distracted from the real, the real battle. I shared a quote on Facebook this week from, um, from Kenny Bowles and his commentary on Ephesians, uh, and I'll share it again now. He said, If the enemy were flesh and blood, we would prepare our bodies for the conflict. If the enemy were of this world, we would use the weapons of this world. Because the struggle is spiritual, we prepare our spirits. 
saying, look, obviously it's not, our, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. If it was, we certainly wouldn't show up and sing some songs. Um, remember some guy who died on a cross and then hear some guy talk about a book? Like, that's not how you prepare for war. I mean, come on. If our struggle was against flesh and blood, we'd probably have some sort of ring in here for people to practice hand-to-hand combat. We'd have a shooting range, okay? We would have all sorts of physical training. We would have dumbbells and barbells and workout equipment, okay? We would be training for physical, for physical battle. But we're not. I'm certainly not in the kind of shape I'd need to be for that. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our enemy is not a person or people or people groups. He goes on to say in verse 12, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, there's our enemies. It's the supernatural forces that are behind all of this. Paul's actually a really great example of this because if you read through the book of Acts, Paul is trying to get an audience with, with the Roman emperor, Nero, who just happens to be one of the most wicked people who have ever lived. If your enemy was going to be flesh and blood, Nero is a prime suspect. For that matter, if your enemy is going to be flesh and blood, uh, Paul, before his conversion, he is a prime suspect. If our enemy was flesh and blood, Jesus, when he knocks Paul down on the road to Damascus, would have just finished him off right there. But instead he says, oh, I got, I got stuff for you to do, man. You're in. Here we go. And, and Paul, when, he, when he's looking for an audience with the emperor, he's not trying to assassinate him. He wants to convert him. Because he realizes that he's not an enemy, that uh, everyone in the world is either a brother or sister in Christ or a potential sibling in Christ. Those are the only two kinds of people, are siblings and potential siblings. And so he goes on from there. He says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. He's asking for them to give him a supernatural nudge to be able to speak boldly. And may I remind you that Paul is, like he says, he's an ambassador in chains. He's under house arrest, which means he's not going out and preaching on the street corner. He's preaching to the people he sees every day. He's preaching to the guards who are 
in his house. He's preaching to the people who come to visit him. That's, that's who he's preaching to and asking for boldness to declare it. So there's more to the actions of others than just their selves. We have to recognize that our issues with other people, that there is, is something beyond and, behind, and above what's going on there. And we need to pray for the spiritual lenses to be able to see it, to see what's going on supernaturally there. Let's, let's wrap this up. So the first thing I want you to see in all of this, okay, uh, is that this is reality. Okay, this isn't a fairy tale. Okay, it isn't some archaic notion that now we know better. Okay, this is real. You can count on the influence of supernatural beings in your life and in the world around you. This is reality. And this is war. Dark supernatural forces are not something to be messed with, not something to be played around with. Okay, but, but like the, the church in Ephesus uh, that this letter is to, uh, the, that when Paul comes there and a bunch of people accept Jesus, the first thing they do is they get all their magic books, they pile them up, and they burn them. Okay, we're not, we're not talking, you know, the the crazy, slightly imperfect, cheapo books. We're talking, these are expensive books. And they, but they realized the dark power that was at work in those books. And so they destroyed them. They didn't try to sell them to someone else. They just destroyed them. This is not something to be trifled with because this is war. There are supernatural beings that want to destroy you. Now, the, the reality of all this is actually, is actually good news. Okay, because in a world full of darkness and seeming defeat, we can hold on to the supernatural forces that are on our side and know that we will ultimately be victorious in this war. I, I heard a guy one time say, you know, if you flip all the way to the back of the book, we win. And that's so true. But that doesn't mean that the conflict... The war is any less brutal. It just means we know whose side we are on. But again, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world, John says. But there are supernatural beings that want to destroy you and lead you into some major, major errors. There, there's a rapper who goes by Shy Lin, and uh, he has this song called Cosmic Powers. I would encourage you to go listen to it. If rap's not your thing, just go look up the lyrics. It is super good. And um, anyway, but he, he talks on all of these, all of these things. And he, he says that in regards to the Bible, that they would want you to fall into one of these errors, that it, he wants to keep you from reading it, reading it. And if he can't keep you from reading it, he's going to keep you from believing it. And if he can't keep you from believing it, he's going to keep you from obedience. He goes on and just says, and the devil's got a temptation for every season. And it's so true that what maybe what his attack was 10, 20 years ago isn't the same way he's going to try to get you now. Which brings us to the next thing, though, is that we need to protect our, yourselves and others. Protect yourself. Put on the full armor of God. Protect yourself in this spiritual battle. Equip yourself to go to war 
train yourself. Like your life depends on it. But not only that, we're in this together. You're not Rambo, okay? You don't go to war by yourself, okay? There's a word for that. It's called dumb, okay? Going to war by yourself is dumb. And so we go together. You protect yourself. You protect others. I've heard it pointed out that there's, that there's, no, there's no back covering on the armor of God. And I think part of that is because we're supposed to have each other's backs. And so protect yourself and others. Next is this. Share your stories and experiences. Okay, share your stories. Share your experiences. If you've got something that you haven't shared with somebody about some sort of supernatural thing, um, grab somebody on the way out and say, hey, have I got a story for you? Okay, um, find somebody and share your stories with people. Don't wait for someone to ask you about something that happened. Um, share that with someone. And just say, you know, I don't know if it was an angel. I don't know if it was a demon or what, but it was something. And it wasn't anything I could explain. Start sharing these stories so that we can start normalizing the supernatural so people can see that this, is the kind, of, this kind of stuff is not abnormal. Which brings us to our last thing, which is this. This is normal. And it is all around you. But will you see it? I would encourage you today to, to update your prescription. Add the supernatural to your lens. Get this new lens and start seeing the world as more than meets the eye. Start seeing the world supernaturally. Let's pray together. Our mighty Father and King, we praise you because you are far greater and far above any other supernatural being in all of creation. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes to see the world through your supernatural lens. Help us to know that you have created more than just that which we can experience through our natural world. I pray that your spirit would allow us to live in your supernatural goodness. It is in the powerful name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.